Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The epistle of James here gets paired together with the temptation in the wilderness with our Lord Jesus, as well as with the testing of Abraham as uh, two contrasting experiences that uh, have a, a common theme as well. In our Lord's experience, we have a replay of the Garden of Eden uh, with <laughs> perhaps a, a, uh, a reverse notion, perhaps a, a, a black and white image of it, in that the Garden of Eden obviously is a garden and Jesus is now in the wilderness, but the same foe comes against the Son of God. Adam is tempted, Eve is tempted, they fall, and now they have taken on death as their uh, tyrant over them. Uh, choosing their own way in contrast to the gifts that God had provided for them, they uh, embrace a new notion of what it is to be a human creature, and it isn't God's definition at all. It's full of chaos, it's full of violence, it's full of loss, it's full of heartache, it's full of pain and suffering, and ultimately leads to death. But the Lord had already, even at that time, promised a Savior for them, one to come and crush the serpent's head. And so our Lord Jesus arrives and goes into the waters of baptism to be there acclaimed the Son of God by none other than the Father himself. We don't have to wait on some secondary authority. It's not even an angel or shepherds or some other witness. It is God the Father himself. You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So this is the Son that has not fallen. This is the perfect one. This is the one who still retains the shalom of God. This is the one Jesus who still has all of the gifts that God gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so the confrontation is set. Jesus going into the wilderness. Now as Martha mentioned out to the children. The Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. It's a setup. But you see, Jesus isn't the one being set up. <clears throat> Satan is the one that's being set up. I don't even think of Jesus in this case being bait either. I think of Jesus going in for the sake of going all the way into the, the humiliation and the weakness of a, a time of, of fasting and preparation for temptation. Remember, 
Adam and Eve were fasting. They had all the trees of the garden to eat from. Right? They were at the top of their game when Satan came to them and overthrew them with just a word. But Satan meets Jesus when he is at the lowest ebb of his human strength, lowest ebb of his experience completely, until finally we'll get to the cross. So when he is there at his weakest, when he has no power, no authority, has no, no strength to fight back with at all, he still comes face to face with Satan and wins. So our victor, our conqueror, has shown us the way. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Along with Adam and Eve and Jesus in his mind, I think James also has Cain on his mind. When each person is tempted, he is lured and enticed by his own desires. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. To a great extent, we can think of Adam and Eve and, and Jesus as being kind of unapproachable ideals, the, the grand spectrum of, of falling and victorious. And we find our own experience kind of somewhere in the middle, don't we? Kind of living out day by day with paths in front of us, always kind of branching out. Which choices to make, which paths to walk, which journeys to take, where is God leading in any particular circumstance. And the, the challenge of discerning the will of God in any particular circumstance, discerning also as good and evil are put in front of us, that we can recognize the one in favor of the other, and also that we can put aside those temptations and cling to righteousness. Cain is much more emblematic of our day-to-day -day experience of this. See, for, for me, I, I, I've only seen a snake a few times. And when I have seen a snake, I have known exactly what it was. That is not something I want to have anything to do with. But sin sometimes dresses itself up into all kinds of enticing garb. Sin doesn't look like a snake. Even one of those black snakes that's curled around the archway of my front door. I don't know how it got there. But there it was. But I knew that I didn't want to go in the front door that day. I went in the garage door. <laughs> That's not my path today. <laughs> See, I recognized it. Now, I don't know if that's an effect of the fall, and perhaps Eve didn't have the same reaction that I have to snakes. But I recognized it, and I knew that that door was not welcoming to me. And I think of snakes and death that way. But 
But sin is sometimes far more subtle, isn't it? It comes with a, an offense to begin with. An offense where something went wrong, something didn't go the way I wanted it to, and I feel justified in having, having thoughts and feelings about it being unjust and unfair and unright, and it should have been different, a different way. And that, that seed can begin to grow, and it can begin to bear its own, its own fruit. Rather than the fruit of the Spirit, now a different spirit is growing. And that was Cain's experience. He brought an offering. It wasn't accepted. His brother's offering was accepted. And his was not. And the Lord came to him and encouraged him to think differently about his circumstance. And then he came to him again and, and warned him that sin was crouching at the door like a wild beast, ready to devour him. But he must master it. He must exercise dominion over that wild beast of sin in the same way that God had provided dominion to Adam and Eve over all the animals of the garden. Name it, and don't claim it at all. Name it and know what it is for what it is. And keep your distance. And love your brother and hate your enemy. Love your father and mother and be there with family together. But instead, that sin germinated and it continued to grow and that point of view took hold. And that offense caused him to act out and slay his brother. I don't see an end to the random slayings in our lives anytime soon. I used to, I remember a moment in my life when I thought something like Columbine was a one-off, a horror, and, and sitting there all day watching the news and watching all of that unfold years ago, some 20 plus years ago now. And then to see again the, the fall of the towers in New York and then to be called to a congregation where you could actually see that place from the other side of Long Island Sound. You imagine in those moments that these are unique episodes, these unique events that that are unfathomable until finally we get to the point now where it seems like well, it's become our new routine, hasn't it? Where sin germinates and we allow it and coax it and, and live in it and embrace it and then it takes lives. It leads to death. These are not the things of God. <clears throat> but these are the things 
that we fall into when we are lured or enticed by our own desires and they conceive thoughts of sin and violence. And then when they are fully grown, they lead to death. Seeing it at the beginning, recognizing it from the very beginning, that's kind of what we learn together when we have our kindergarten teachers nip things in the bud with us, right? To stop at the very first and to apologize one to another. But even more so to, to forgive one another. In many ways, James writes in this way in the same vein as all of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. What is it like to navigate life in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming when we're still here in the world and yet we have this beautiful set of promises from God about, about forgiveness now and eternal life in the future but wrestling with flesh and wrestling with our blood when the antidote to our flesh and blood is the flesh and blood of Christ. To embrace the good gifts of God and to work with the wisdom that the Holy Spirit provides to see what's coming. To actually huh, prophesy. Oh, I've been offended. Oh, I hurt. Oh, now I'm angry. Oh, now I'm envious. And it's a, it's a recognizable path. In fact, you don't even need to really be much of a prophet to see where that ends. It's so predictable. We've seen it over and over and over and over again. So part of why we come, at least part of why I come, part of why I come on Sunday morning at 1030 is for all of those incipient sins those early warning signs that have been building up in me since last Sunday about this and that and all the other things that I experience in this world and to have God the Holy Spirit go in and short circuit all of those things by the word of the Lord and by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You see, because that's the only place that is going to actually do the job of getting rid of the yuck that is encrusting our lives day in and day out and causing us to kill one another. Either literally at a parade in, in Kansas City or verbally or in our minds and in our hearts against one another as we break out in anger and in fear. But it keeps happening over and over and over again because it is there, deep inside, born of that original sin. But God, in his mercy, has provided this escape. A true balm of healing instead of exploding bombs. A 
balm of healing that comes from God our Heavenly Father. Every good gift, every good gift, James writes, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variation, no shadow, no change. He illuminates all things and causes all those things also to shine. That we could be the first fruits, not of sin, but of his creatures. You see? Yes, all of these things are true in that first half of James' lesson. We, we know from personal experience the ravages of the darkness and all that that can lead to. Whether we have personally acted out all of our personal fantasies about what we're going to do to that guy or not. But in this place and at this hour, the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who defeated Satan and raised him up to ridicule for all that he has done to the human race, that in the moment on the cross, God's righteousness, his mercy and justice would prevail. So that Satan cannot harm the first fruits of God's creatures. You, first fruits of God's creatures, are the testimony to the rest of the world that God has eternal life in store for his people. By virtue of your baptism, you are those first fruits. You are the witness to all those who are dying apart from Christ that it is different. It is different to live and to die in Christ. And it's not like Cain. And it is like dear Abel. But now here we are, sets, ready to take the witness on into the next generation and to do as Seth did at the end of Genesis 4, to be the first ones to call on the name of the Lord. Amen. And may this grace of God keep and hold you in his arms and in his might, now and forever. Amen. Amen.